And welcome to Five Hole Fantasy Hockey. We're your hosts today, TJ Branson and Zach Vogel. Okay, so there usually is Zach's hey, hey, hey there, but I forgot where I saved the intro that we did for this one. So I'm just kind of free balling it here. So today we have Alan Mitchell and Wes Gilbertson of Edmonton and Calgary, respectively. So it's a Battle of Alberta episode. That's just kind of the way the cards fell. We didn't plan this or anything. It's going to be a lot of fun. Alan had some great insight, a lot of really good stories, and uh, was very generous with his time. And I think you guys are going to enjoy that fact. And uh, like I said, there there was there's really second and none when it comes to opinions on their teams. Uh, this is going both for Alan and Wes. I don't know. I feel like I'm talking in circles here, so it's just a little bit of a weird one. Uh, but anyway, I think you guys are going to dig it. And without further ado, let's start off with Alan, and then we're going to go into Wes. So enjoy. I just turned 30 this year. Um, it, it might be young for you, but it's the oldest I've ever been. But... <laughs> But I, I'm I have a Warren Moon jersey, and that's about as far back as I go. I know Fran Tarkington days; those were good days, apparently. But uh, yeah, well, man, I'd... when when Warren Moon was just out of college in 1978, I drove about 45 minutes from where I'm sitting now to watch him play pro football for the Edmonton Eskimos, and he was brilliant then. Then he had a great NFL career five years after he left the CFL. So uh, that's a good choice there that you made. Yeah, there was a lot of good times for us. I remember distinctly, uh, like right around 1998, Dante Culpepper, Chris Carter, and yeah. Randy Moss. Those were like kind of the heyday for me. Did you guys have Randall Cunningham? Did you get him? We did. Yeah, it was just yeah. for like a brief period, not not very long. He was an eagle too. I, I loved him when he was with the Eagles. Yeah, I think we caught him after he got caught up in some stuff. And then he went to Minnesota. <laughs> just, just some stuff. Let's just say some stuff, so, right? So he was your Michael Vick to, to for the Eagles. I suppose, fans. yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Well, all that's all. It's like all that. good. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> all right. So, what do you say we we get going? And Zach, my co-host. So I'm I'm Tim, and then my co-host is Zach. Uh, we'll okay. get going, and he'll just pop in a little bit later. What, which one of you is the smarter one? Uh, I'm going to say me, and I'm going to say okay. that especially because he's not on right now. So uh, <laughs> we do kind of have like a Titanic here. So I, I like to go by the numbers. I like the advanced stats. I like that kind of thing. And Zach, okay. he's more, uh, he goes by the gut. He's got a lot okay. of gut. So he goes by the gut. Uh, the eye test is his favorite thing. Um, How much money do you steal from him every year by betting? Steal? Uh, well, I beat him this year in our fantasy hockey league, so I at least got go. $50 from him. So there's there you that. Go. That's, I always go math. If I have a, cho- a choice, I, if you give me either visual or math on a player, I would definitely go math. Yeah, the numbers won't lie to you, right? Yeah, and, and, and the, your eyes will. Even if the numbers are telling you something, your yeah. eyes will lie to you, you know? So that'll, that'll be good, man. I'm, I'm glad that uh, we kind of get along on that road. But okay, so for the listeners out there, we are joined by Ian, not Ian, oh boy, starting off on the right foot. Uh, <laughs> I had a couple never of, met me, so it's okay. <laughs> I had a couple gin and lemonades at dinner, ah. so I'm, I'm plunging through that one here. Let me try it again. Everybody out there in listener land, we're joined with Alan Mitchell of The Athletic Edmonton. You guys probably know him as Low Tide on Twitter, host The Lowdown on TSN 1260. How you doing tonight, Alan? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, man. So I'm wondering, is there anything else you're working on? This is free airtime if you want to plug anything. 
Oh, well, I write for The Athletic Edmonton. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, have a blog, lowtide.ca. I am on TSN 1260 weekdays, 10 to noon, which your time, I think, is noon to 2. Uh, I'm an Eagles fan, right um, <laughs> which I think your listeners probably like. Uh, I also cheer for the 76ers, even though the entire nation cheers for the Raptors. Uh, and that goes back to Dr. J as I'm old. But um, I have a, I've never been to Philadelphia, but I've always wanted to go and see it. There's a there's a good amount of great food here, so I'm I, I am proud of that. Uh, I'm in the restaurant industry, so I'm patting myself on the back a little there bit here. There you go. But you Zach go. and I were both Flyers fans. His second team is the Toronto Maple Leafs. My second team is the Edmonton Oilers, and this is going Love back it. a few years. Uh, Leon Drysaddle was like one of my kind of like sneaky pickups in our fantasy hockey league. And I just uh, fell in love with him. And thanks to Leon, I am now kind of an Edmonton fan. That's my or my West Coast team, in fact. So um, so our intention here tonight is we're, we're fantasy hockey nerds and we're, we're curious about like production floors, ceilings. Some of us are in dynasty leagues, which means you keep players forever. You draft prospects, that kind of thing. And we like to dream about potential of prospects and, and contracts for future players and stuff like that. If we're playing in like a, a cap league or something. So we're hoping to bounce a couple questions off you. And I see Zach sure. has now joined the chat. He's here. Hello. Hello. Hey buddy. Hi Zach. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. He, your your partner told me that he uh, you had to do the dishes, which I thought was unfair. <laughs> I was I, telling him we're both in the home? restaurant industry. At home, yeah, we both do. Oh, I always <laughs> do the dishes at home. Oh my god, our wives run the show. <laughs> hey, when when you're even even when you're like a chef, or at least a, I think like a good chef, um, I don't ask anybody to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. There you go, yeah. And and that's and that's why I think people kind of always gravitate towards me and from from the start. I'm will I'm willing to do anything that I'm going to ask you to do. I, I'm the same way in my industry. I, I won't. I would never ask you to drink a dozen beer unless I was also willing to do it. <laughs> we so. can we can race even. <laughs> <laughs> so Zach, you came in right at the perfect time, man. We didn't get to any of the questions yet. We just kind of did intros and stuff like that. But I'm going to lead it off here with kind of just starting from the top: Connor McDavid, Leon Drysaddle, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. There is a good amount of forward talent that is. I think it's going to be good enough to buoy this team down the real playoff run here. How do you like your chances in this bizarre playoff structure? I think I, you've got to favor the Oilers in the first series. Although Chicago has goaltending, uh, they you know the, the Blackhawks went into the deadline thinking they were sellers, which they were yeah. at the time. Uh, so they they traded a real good goaltender. Uh, they traded a, a defenseman they could use to Calgary uh, in Gustafson. And I think you favor Edmonton, but it is as you said a bizarre uh, set of circumstances. So we don't even know. You know, we know everybody's got ten fingers and toes, but we don't know if they're healthy. So if if the Oilers are healthy. I like them getting by Chicago. After that, it's going to be a crapshoot. The one thing the Oilers have that that I think will bode well for them going into the into these playoffs is their power play has been a huge advantage. Oh my god! And and I, I like I just think it's the great equalizer. We'll see. I mean, maybe they lose some of the the momentum, but if they have that power play, I like them against Chicago. And then depending upon who they play in the next series. Uh, you know, they could go a ways. I'm not expecting them to get to the final four, but uh, there's a lot of good on the Edmonton Oilers compared to a year ago. You know, in the interview that we've actually uh, had recently, there was a hot take of <laughs> the Oilers are going to lose in that first little series. You're talking to a Vegas I, pundit. Well, 
Sure, Vegas. I mean, the, 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 <laughs> just starting feuds thing, now. The one thing I'll say is that that the you can see what Chicago's doing. They got great young forwards. There's there's players on all three lines who can score. Now I'm not going to say all three lines can score because I think that for the Oilers it's a little bit of trouble that that third line can put the puck in the net because after the 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 Drysaddle line and the McDavid line are off, there's a little chaos going on. So there's there's parts of the game where I think Chicago will do well, and I don't think it'll be a sweep or anything. And look, you know, if if the Oilers lose to Chicago, it's not the end of the world. This is going to be a weird uh, period here. But I think going in, if you're, you know, if you're betting, you know, I don't bet, but if you're betting, I think it would be, you know, six units on the Oilers, four on Vegas, or I'm sorry, sorry, four on Chicago. Uh, I, I, I think it's a 60-40. That's how I feel about Edmonton over Chicago. I've, I've said I think they'll win in four, maybe five, but there's... Unless Chicago can stay out of the penalty box, the Oilers don't need very many power plays to kill you, and and their penalty kill was darn good too. So I give Chicago the edge in goal, and I think that that they have more depth in terms of scoring lines than the Oilers do. But after that, I, I even on defense, I think the Oilers are way underrated. Uh, Clefbaum played very well with Larson after January when, when everybody was healthy. Uh, the nurse and uh, bear pairing was good. And they picked up Mike Green, and he played very well, although in two games. They have uh, young Caleb Jones, who is, I think he's past Chris Russell on the depth chart. So I like I like Edmonton. I, I think Chicago has a chance, but I, I think it's a 40% chance. I mean, I think anybody has a chance, but all I know is the Edmonton Oilers have the best power play in hockey, the second best penalty kill, and Chicago Blackhawks have the worst penalty kill in hockey. Yeah. How, how can it's you go up again? Like, how can it is piping as hot of a take as you were going to get? Yeah. Because I couldn't yeah. disagree more. <laughs> it, it's and it's it feels like everybody's you know either. You know, putting down Chicago or whatever. I I think if you look at what Chicago, where they are, they've done pretty well. The problem is they they're building, and th- even they acknowledged at the deadline they were sellers. So I think there's there's a lot of preamble and a lot of pre hype about Chicago, but I don't I just don't think they have the horses. And and that's not you know me talking about the orders because I'm biased. I. I I fully believe the Oilers will win this on merit, and my belief is in four games, so like three games to one. So let's talk about those horses, man. Let's start off with Connor McDavid. I feel like what you see is what you get, and what we see is head and shoulders above pretty much everybody else in the league. Is there another level to his, I mean, already top of the league play? That would be pretty scary. Do you think he can hit another gear? Yeah, I, well, I think here's what I believe. He was, uh, you know, he worked so hard all summer to get back from that that crazy injury, and there were times during the year when he was not a hundred percent, and that's one of the reasons I think that Leon Drysaddle shone so bright was that McDavid had, you know, he had periods of time where he wasn't playing because he was ill. It was difficult for him from time to time during the year. With all of that, he was scoring at a crazy level. And I think this time off may benefit him. And as crazy as that sounds, I think he might be better when he comes back. The thing about McDavid, I remember the first time I ever saw him in 2015. He got drafted and then he came to Edmonton for orientation camp. And at that time, he was at the, the, the orders were at the old rink at Northlands. And... I, I went to see him, and, and there's a bunch of rookies. Leon Drysaddle was there, Darnell Nurse, Caleb Jones was there. I, I sit down, and I watch Caleb Jones go by, and I'm like, Caleb Jones can skate. That's good. <laughs> and then uh, uh, it's almost like maybe a, a heartbeat later, 
this blur went by and I, <laughs> and my daughter said, well, that must be McDavid. And it was like, you almost didn't see him. And that's what McDavid is. I watch with glee NHL defensemen and McDavid has the puck and you can see them go, I got him. I, oh my God, I don't got him. <laughs> and, and the, he's electrifying and he's dangerous. And every time he has the puck, heading up ice there's real danger for the opposition and w one of the things about his numbers we were talking earlier before we went to air the, about the uh, um, the analytics the underlying numbers the math of McDavid uh, here's here's the thing to remember about him a lot of times his possession numbers aren't great because his chances are off the rush and either he scores uh, he goes out of play or it's heading back the other way there's uh, you know there, if there's a rebound it's probably in the net so there's there's not a lot of sustained activity because he does a lot off the rush but the chances that he gets are enormous and and I think McDavid there were times this year when I saw him at less than 100% but he was still playing and I and I think this time off probably getting the rest that he didn't get during the summer will benefit him in a big way. Oh my God, McDavid and Dreisaitl fully rested is a scary thing. I think they kind of made it so the whole team kind of works off the rush. It's not just McDavid now, like the people that they picked up uh, and kind of built the team into are really good rush players. Yamamoto, uh, Tyler Ennis, who I think is great off the rush and fits in incredibly well in that system. Like, I see it all up and down that line. I think Athanasio was another ad that, that uh -huh. adds to that as well. Uh -huh. He's quick. Um, the, the counter to that is, and I agree with you, I think they are a, a team that, that you know wants to fast break, for lack of a better phrase. But the other side of that is that in December, Leon Dreisaitl was turning the puck over a lot. It was going in the back of the net a lot, and it was a frustrating time. And I and I think that it was a good period for the Oilers to go through because the, Yamamoto is a great give and go player with Leon Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins is just really smart, and he's got a lot more confidence in his shot lately. Uh, say the last I don't know four months or so uh, towards the end of the season. What those two lines do, basically the way the orders are run now, is the third and fourth lines are two fourth lines. And they're just trying not to get killed while they're out there. Well, the first and the second line get their energy back. Mm. But in a playoff game that counts, I, I can almost guarantee the top two lines are going to play almost all of the game. They're going to play most of it. And... With with them forcing the issue on the defense and with like McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl transporting the puck into the zone, I think it's going to be too much for a lot of teams, especially a team with a young defense or a team that maybe is, uh, you know, has a weakness on their third pair. Uh, God forbid that the third pair is out against either of those two lines. It's going to be tough. The Oilers and Tippett's smart. He can get his mismatches and they take full advantage of them. And, and I watched a game on the weekend, Winnipeg, Edmonton, uh, end of February, I'm going to say, the Oilers won it. It was a, it was a great close game. And the Oilers uh, were on their heels a little bit, uh, and they got a couple of power plays in the second period, and it ignited them for the whole game. And and that's what they can do with the speed that you talked about and off the rush. They, they can make things almost manic for the other team. They didn't have that before. A lot of the speed that is here now has arrived since Tippett and Ken Holland arrived. 
So on Leon Dreisaitl, do you think we've already seen his best? Do you think he has more in the tank? I mean, we watched his shot rates. They jumped this past season. That was something that was kind of, I don't want to say lacking because his shots were always pretty good, but now he's up over like three shots a game, which is impressive. Dreisaitl has been a constant surprise. I I know a lot of uh, draft uh, experts and gurus and guys who follow the draft, and I, I talk to all of them in 2014 before the draft and I asked them about Dreisaitl because I had a feeling that, that the Oilers were going to take him if he was there and I was told man he's he's got a lot going on he can control the puck he's a great passer he doesn't shoot a lot but he he can score goals but his his foot speed isn't great and his ability to play a shift length at full speed is not good that's sort of my perception of him before he got drafted. But what Drysaddle has done every year since, uh, he has gotten better. And he's gotten faster. He's gotten quicker. Uh, he has more sustain. His his shift lengths have come down. There was one in overtime this year where he's bagged. That's the only time <laughs> I really remember him absolutely being done. And he's reached the level now where... I think he's special. He's a special player. And I mean that in the upper echelon. If he wins the heart, he's earned it. I I don't know that he'll get any better, but I can say that at this level, he's already one of the best players in the game. And I'll I'll draw a parallel between the Crosby-Malkin era and what is appearing to be the Malkin-Dreisaitl era. When Dreisaitl got drafted, there was no Connor McDavid. When McDavid got drafted a year after Dreisaitl, he was absolutely, you know, the second option and the guy you mentioned after McDavid, we're at a point now where if you're talking about the orders, you you, you probably use the word McDavid first, but Dreisaitl is the next, it's not even the next sentence, it's the next word. Mm. And he's earned that. I, I will say that he can he can probably score more if he remains with two great line mates like Yamamoto and Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, the owners have great. never well, the owners have never been able to get McDavid and whoever the second line center is, either Nuge or Drysaddle, uh, you know, two good wingers each, four good wingers. And a lot of that was cap issue, uh, but a lot of that was also, you know, drafting that went sideways. One thing Holland has done, and maybe it's a little luck with Yamamoto, but I think in bringing in Athanasiu and bringing in, in uh, uh, Ennis, he's really working on getting some line mates for McDavid so he can go too. And it's it's not just something they're look, looking at doing. It's a priority. And if they, if they can get that, like I, I'll tell, I'll be honest with you, I'd like to see Athanasio and Ennis start with McDavid yeah. off the hop to begin the playoffs. I'd like to see both of them. Cassian could be checked in for sure. Uh, but but two skilled guys with McDavid, man, that, that could really work. It seemed like they wrote off Athanasio pretty quick too. Well, he what happened to him was I'm just pouring water. Um, what happened to him was he got he got nicked up in the first game, and then if you if you look at his totals on natural stat trick, first game he got a goal and an assist, and then his time on ice went way down, and he moved down the lineup for I'm going to say three or four games. The last two games I think it is that he played, he was right back to where he was, and he wasn't scoring because he wasn't you know uh, there yet. But I think I think he was starting to get comfortable and he was starting to really push. And I bet you the coach saw that. And I, I think Athanasiu, they, they didn't trade two, two second round picks to bury yeah, him. Yeah, I think that. he's going to get a shot. You know, I, I do. I think he's going to get a shot. I mean, I definitely think that that would be a, an awesome look because I, I liked that whole idea. Remember when all that happened, TJ, oh my putting God, yeah. Athanasiu and Ennis with McDavid, 
and just how fast everything would be. Yeah, like I feel like uh, you just you're just shoving it down the defensive throat, <laughs> and there is nothing that they that they can really do about it for a whole sixty. Um, I am flat out that you brought up RNH as well because I'm I'm a huge RNH fan. I just love his game. He's only 27, and that is huge for Edmonton. How has his role changed? And I, I like where he is on that second line with Drysdale. Okay, I'm gonna there's I'm gonna tell you a story about a guy. This I do this a lot, so I apologize <laughs> in advance. I'm down. Uh, I'm down for stories. When I was really young, and you guys weren't born yet, um, <laughs> probably your parents weren't born yet. Well, maybe they were, but there was a, a, a Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman or a centerman named Dave Keon, and Keon was—I think he was Rookie of the Year in '62. They won the Cup, and he was a great two-way center right away as soon as he got into the NHL. And but he also had a lot of offense. He was one of their best offensive players, and. I read his uh, autobiography years later, and he said about 1970 or so, he's into his career for for a time. He he worry he began to worry so much about the defensive side of the game that he he forgot or he spent less time looking for offense. And he said one of his career regrets was that he had sort of turned himself into a a less uh, um, exceptional offensive player because he was cheating for defense based in part by the the people that he he was on the ice with. And I think that happened to Nuge. When he came in, they, you know, Sam Gagne was supposed to move up the roster. Uh, Sean Horkoff was a veteran center. But I'm going to say within a year of him getting there, there's a great site called Puck IQ that tells you how much as a percentage of five-on-five ice time a player is getting against elite competition. And Nuge, I'm going to say by 2012 or 13, he was playing elite competition 35 or 40% of the time, which is huge. That's a, a big number. And at some point in time, he came in as a rookie. He was a, a, a crazy good power play guy, always has been. Five-on-five numbers weren't there, but he was a very thin guy. And I think he developed into a guy who is more concerned with the defensive side of the game. Last year, and then this year, especially when he moved to left wing, um, he's, he's shooting more, and he's got a great shot, but he never uses it. He's shooting more. Uh, he scores really nice goals because he can sh- score from some length. He, he can beat a goalie from, well, I will say from the face-off circle in, uh, and that's that's a pretty long area for for anybody in today's NHL. And it's right in front of the net, too. Yeah. Well, and he's got great hands, very quick hands. So mm-hmm. all of those things have always been there for Nuge. And I don't know if it's confidence or whether Dave Tippett or or maybe late when Hitchcock was the coach a year ago, somebody appears to have given him more confidence in his shot. And it opens up everything because, you know, there was a time when Nuge telegraphed pass all the time. And now he's almost gone the other way where where – watching all of his games, I know he's going to shoot. And I, I'm hopeful that he does because I think he's got a great shot. But but Nuge is, you know, his personality is. That's what one of the things I love most about him. He's always been the, the, the second, you know, I guess – set of seats in on the team there's Taylor Hall at the beginning and then and then McDavid and so he there's always been somebody else another number one overall pick who is like king or the you know the the type a personality in the room and and he's sometimes it's easy to forget about him but in the days when he wasn't scoring he was also playing well uh, defensively now he's got it all because he's still the defensive conscience on that line but that line works because Yamamoto is a great give and go player 
You notice Yamamoto doesn't transport the puck because he could get, you know, overwhelmed. He's not a big guy. Leon transports the puck. Often he'll send a quick pass to Yamamoto, who will do exactly what he should do, is get the puck back to the big man, Drysaddle, right away. <laughs> and after that, the, Nuge is looking for the puck. There was a, there was a play uh, the Oilers made... God, I, I can't remember. I think it was late in the year. Larson grabs the puck at the at the uh, um, blue line. He throws it back down. Nuge shovels it to Drysidle, and Drysidle. I think this was against Carolina. Drysidle has to make about a six foot pass, and it's it's between a defenseman who's low and a forward who's marking Drysidle or uh, Nuge who's high. And Drysidle sends this death pass. Nugent Hopkins does what he never used to do. He gets the puck, he sets himself, and he shoots it in a, in a heartbeat, and it's in the net. And that, and he was not doing that two or three years ago. I think he'd lost confidence, or or like that Keon story I told you, where Keon said he just he just stopped doing it as part of his game that he didn't you know cultivate. You you, you know lose what you don't use. And I, I, I'm excited for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I'm afraid of his next so contract. So I, well, I'm, I'm afraid of his next contract because it could be a lot of money. But I'm excited for him because I think I think he could be entering a really strong area era of his career uh, and good for Dave Tippett for putting that line together because they looked like a, a, a billion dollars and he's just going to fill out even more like he he's he's turning into a, he's a big dude uh, so so he can definitely hold his own out there and I think that's a good uh, kind of juxtaposition to Kyle Yamamoto who's the who's the little speedy guy so yep. I, I'm super excited so I, I want to move now to James Neal. He had almost like, I want to say it's a red hot start to the season. Is there anything that you noticed that played into kind of uh, burning out in the second half? Well, he got off to a great start and a lot of it was on the power play. And, yeah, you know, he, he he failed to, to continue that hot streak and he was unable to score five on five with McDavid. So he was moved down, <clears throat> excuse me, very much like Lucic when, when he came over in 2016. But, Neil had, at some point in the winter, he had a, a foot injury, as I recall, and it really reduced his effectiveness. Because even when Neil isn't scoring, he can be a physical player. Uh, I like him better than Chase on, on the power play. And I think if he's healthy, he'll go right back there as that net front presence. And he's got great hands. He can really score in close. I I, I spent most of the year thinking the Oilers would, would buy him out, to be honest, at the end of the year. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced of that anymore because he scored darn near 20 goals. He was not a player who uh, was effective on the scoring lines, but he also didn't bitch and moan when he's playing on the third and fourth line. So if he can play that power play role effectively, and I think that he can, and if he can you know, play the nine or 10 minutes a night and be physical and look after his, uh, you know, own net, um, own defensive uh, responsibilities, on that third or fourth line and then jump up when he has an opportunity or when he's hot. I think that Dave Tippett might view that as a, a, a player that he can value. That's, that's how I feel about Neil. I think he has uses. I think he would be better on the right wing. He's always said he's more comfortable on right wing. The owners don't necessarily set up that way. They're, they're actually, I think, you know, stronger on right wing than they are on left wing right now. We'll see about all of the, the players who are coming, like uh, Negard and Athanasio and maybe Ennis, if they sign him, then maybe he can go over to right wing. But uh, I, I think Neil stays. I think he's a big part of the power play. Uh, 
for two years now, if you look at his five-on-five per 60 numbers, he's been under one. And that's not, you you can't run him with McDavid because there's always going to be a better option. That's totally fair. So so you're talking about Neil on the power play, and I, I was always, like, I've been kind of hoping, hoping that Yams, uh, Kyle Yamamoto, can make it onto the power play. But it seems like the only area that's open on the power play is the net front. Yamamoto is obviously a, a small guy. He's, what, 5'8"? Uh, it just doesn't seem like a place that he would be able to be. Is there any shot Yamamoto gets on the top power play? Well, there's there's two things that are are uh, in Yamamoto's favor. Number one, he's right-handed on a team of of left-handed guys. He's he's a right-handed yeah. guy, so there's there's two spots he can play. One is the 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 in net front to the left a little bit. Eberle used to play that position where you're just looking for the goal mouth shot, the quick tip in. You drive to the front of the net if you if there's an opportunity to tip or to screen. But for the most part, you're at the side of the net, so you can take the pass down low on the left side, and you can drive to the net from behind the net or or toward the net. And then the other thing is the the, the, the higher up on the slot on the right side, uh, Mark Latestu did this effectively uh, in 16-17, I believe. Um, and and you're looking for passes from the the low man on the right side, and you're you're already Leon plays that position sometimes, but he'll have his back to the net, so he's got to turn around and score. He actually did it this year, which is a brilliant goal, but you, you have to make one more move to get the shot away, and that sort of telegraphs what you're going to do. So there's two spots on the power play that Yamamoto could play, but your point earlier is the right one. How does he get onto it? Because who are you going to replace? Yeah, not right. McDavid, not Leon, not Nuge. Mm-hmm. Probably Clapbaum's going to be on the power play, so that's four guys. Um, you know, Neil maybe at the front, Yamamoto at the front, Chason got some power play time. Um I, you know, it's it's just so damn loaded, guys. I mean, the second power play, you know, sometimes I wonder if, if they should just run two minutes with the top guys. I yeah, think, right. in, in all honesty, I think that if, if they had a better, um, that's not fair, if they had a more established third-line center, uh, then I think there are times that they would if they were down 2-1 late. They'd probably do that anyway. But, you know, that power play is so incredible that, that you know, even tired, I think they could beat teams. So, um, you know, Yamamoto's gonna, ha- I think he's just gonna have to wait his turn, and it might be a couple of years because the, uh, I don't think any of those, you know, what, what is Nuge 20, 27 or so? Like, yeah. he's not a he's not an old guy, yeah, he's only 27 years old. Yeah, he's so coming, he's coming into like the exactly where he needs to be. Yeah, well, and he's going to, the orders traditionally, the thing that has always driven me nuts about their team building <laughs> is they, they, a guy reaches 27 and they trade him off. They traded Hall, they uh, traded Eberly, they traded Ryan Smith. They, they just have this thing good about, players. Good players. well, yeah, and with lots of, lots and lots of good years ahead of them, right? By the time these guys are, well, McDavid and Drysdale probably not. By the time Nuge is maybe 34, you're not going to want to pay him, you know, the the kind of dollars he's making now. But that's seven years, guys. You know, take as many of those seven years and hold on to them as you can. And and I think that's what 
I'm hoping Ken Holland does. Ken Holland likes older players. And for the Oilers, that might be one of the biggest benefits of having him as the GM is that he'll hold on to guys like Nugent Hopkins or or Adam Larson, perhaps. I don't know how they're going to do it because of money, but you want to hold on to those guys as long as you can because they're still effective and they're going to have more good years. So I noticed in there you said that Clefbaum is going to be the top power play guy. And this brings me to my next point about Evan Bouchard. He seems like he could definitely fill those shoes. Uh, two questions here. How soon are we going to see Bouchard in a regular NHL role? And the second question, do you think he's going to steal that top power play spot from Clefbaum? Okay, your answers are within half a season that he'll okay. be here. And then anytime after he arrives <laughs> because I like I've watched him a lot in in junior and I watched him uh, in Bakersfield and, and he did have an NHL edition here a couple of years ago and his passing is like I don't like as a passer the Oilers have seldom had Lubo Wisnowski, um Pronger could pass the puck very well coffee was more of a skater uh, this guy is is like he not not only can he pass and there are passes on the fly on the stick and they're gone, but he can see plays develop and and he's you know he he's this this is unreal that the Oilers still have him in the minors. This is so against Oiler tradition. But I'm glad they did because he's he's improved uh, on on defense quite a bit uh, in in Bakersfield. His second half is far better than his first. So I th- I think Bouchard would be. Um, you know, if you're in a fantasy league or whatever, he'd be a great bet, but a bet who might not pay off for the first 40 games of this year. And then, but a year from now would be a guy that you'd, you'd have, you know, maybe it's going to be him and Clefbaum hmm. on the power play, uh, but he's definitely going to be a part of it. And the one thing Bouchard does really well, even at the NHL level when he played here, but at every other level too, is he gets the puck through. Uh, for some reason, uh, he changes angles late. He's somehow slipping and sliding. I, I don't know how he does it, but he he finds a way to get the puck through. And and on a power play, that's a big deal. You don't have the turnovers. You don't have the breakaways and the two on ones. And even if it goes wide, it might bounce out in front. He's he's absolute chaos for the opposition. And I think it's because he's he's got a big brain. I, I think he's a pretty smart guy based on how he plays the game and how he uses his skill. I think he's probably a pretty smart player right-handed shot too it gives you that option yeah Yeah. and that's why i think he'll be what does have to make a decision here Uh, i think they'll keep larson obviously bear as a keeper Uh, they liked green and holland likes the older players matt benning had a lot of concussion issues so he's a guy who's making 1.9 and he's going to uh to uh, free agency or at least restricted free agency this year with arbright so if they can sign him for less maybe they keep him, but I think they might trade him. Uh, and if they do and they don't sign Green, then it will be Bouchard. But at some level, I think they'll, they'll no matter what happens, they'll bring up Bouchard during the year. When he's ready, you might as well play him. And then it's a great problem to have that you have somebody sitting, uh, you know, upstairs in the in the uh, press box who, who's too good to sit there. But if you do that for half a season, that's great. My last one, I just want to kind of go over like the goalie situation so you have Mikko Koskinen uh I guess he's making starter money it's not like he's really kicking the tires too much at four and a half million a year um but you also have Mike Smith whose contract well let's be honest uh, do do you really want to keep him how do you feel about Miko being the starter and kind of are you looking elsewhere for 
another goalie to bring in? Because I don't know if Mike Smith is the answer anymore. Well, I'll say this. I This is one area where, where I would not have done what Ken Holland did. I wouldn't have signed Mike Smith. But it's worked out, so I'm going to give full credit. The problem with old goaltenders like Mike Smith, he's got a lot of miles on him. When he goes sideways, it's really sideways. And when he's, when he's great, it's excellent, like he was with Calgary uh, a year ago in the playoffs and with the Oilers for much of this year. December, uh, you know, uh, aside, he's, he's had a great year. I just think that in goal you need somebody more consistent. So I don't. I don't think they're going to go out and get Braden Holtby. That's not really Ken Holland style. Um, I. I. You know, every year for the last several, the Oilers have drafted a goaltender. Uh, Stuart Skinner, um, the the young Olivier Rodrigue turns pro. Uh, they drafted uh, Konovalov out of Russia. I, I think the Oilers would be open to. Um, getting a, and I don't know the free agent list, but one of the free agents that's maybe a little younger than Smith, uh, who would sign a one-year deal uh, and come in and play. Uh, I thought Koskinen was the better goalie this year, and so I don't have any quarrel with him making what he's making. It's it's high and it's for too long, but you've got him, so you know just live with it. It's not going to kill you. But I'd be interested in bringing in if I were Ken Holland, which I'm not, and I I I think he might sign Mike Smith. I don't think that's the wise decision, but after the year he's had, and especially if he has a great playoff, I don't think there's any way they're they're not going to sign him. Dave Tippett likes him and trusts him, and they have a really good working relationship that's been successful now in three NHL cities, Dallas, Phoenix, and now Edmonton. So uh, my feeling is they'll sign him if he has a good playoff. If not, then a, a mid-level $3 million uh, goaltender. Uh, the guy who, uh, whose name is, is kicking into my brain is Kudobin, but mm-hmm. I think he's signed. But that kind of guy who can, you know, step in and play um, and, and maybe surprise you, you know, uh, but you know that you're going to get um, quality and and maybe like a Halak who, who uh, I think Boston just signed. Yeah. That kind of goaltender is not necessarily going to cost you even four and a half, but, you, you know, if you had to run with him for a month, he'd, he'd be okay with that. I actually liked the Mike Smith pickup when it originally happened. My, my whole thought was he's a volume goalie. He has been on teams where he has seen a lot of shots come at him and has done really well with it. Like he would have games where he would like stop 60 out of 61 shots, like playing for Arizona and what. Yes. So yeah. I thought it would be, I thought it would be kind of like a perfect situation for him being on, on the Oilers since like, well, at the time, they didn't have the best defense, which is rounding out now. But at the time, I thought it would be perfect match. I talked to Catherine Silverman, who's – I don't know if you follow her online, but oh, yeah, she's she's a brilliant uh, assessor of goaltending. And I asked her – and this was just on free agency day, I asked her. Um, I said, you know, what will Mike Smith give the orders? And she said, he's the guy who will carry you for a month. And he's also the guy that on Jerome Ginla night will let six goals in on 15 oh, shots. No. And, you know, but, but she, she was accurate. You know, yeah. Mike Smith, like, I don't, I think the others, you know, are, are where they are now at the end of this regular season in 2019, 20, partly because of Mike Smith. And I mean that in a good way, you know, whether I thought it was a good idea or not, Mike Smith has won them a lot of games. His style of play is a little bit to get used to, but there were, there were nights when he was stopping everything in sight. And so I, you know, I can disagree with a, um, 
a decision and then admit that it was a good one because I'm an adult. But the 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 concern that I had a year ago is the st- same one that I have again: is how many times are you going to roll those dice? And and I my my suspicion is that if you're asking me now, the Oilers will will sign him to another deal. So the last question I got for you, Alan, here is on Yessi Pouliarvi. Is there anything new that you can tell us? What's going on there? Well, something happened because he said at least once now, and I think twice, never say never. Now, you know, I don't know. Young people today, they say things, maybe they mean something (laughs) different. But never say never to me means maybe there's a chance. And here's the thing about Yessi Pouliarvi. His value isn't what I, I think Oiler fans think it is. And I think right now you could get a second round pick for him. If if Ken Holland can bring him into the team and have him play on the third line for a year and chip in 10 goals, he might get something more for him. Uh, I don't think Yasso Pogliarvi is going to play on a skill line. I don't think he's going to be on McDavid's line. I don't think he's going to be on Dreisaitl's line. I don't think he's going to get a lot of power play time. But if he can come in and, and wants to come in and play a, a good two-way third-line role with a veteran center and, and you know chip in that way and get 10 goals and build his career that way, then I think there's a place for him. And I, I will bet you that that's what Ken Holland and Dave Tippett are looking at, too. Now, this this could happen. He, the orders might get to the draft in the second round and see somebody they like and know they can pull the trigger on it and get the guy. And the second round pick to them has high enough value that it's worthwhile to them. Other than that, I think they might wait a year, even if Pugliarvi plays in the KHL or the Leisure. If Ken Holland doesn't think he's going to get value for him, I don't think he trades Pugliarvi. And it sounds like... There's a little crack forming in the Pugliarvi sign side that, that may allow them to go and sign him this year. And if they do have a chance, I think they'll sign Pugliarvi. I think I would be willing to give a second-round pick for Pugliarvi if I yeah. was another team. I would be down for something like that, I think. Definitely a third. Well, if you're Carolina, he and Ajo had such great chemistry. And that would be it, a good one. Ooh. Exactly, right? You know, so if you're... And Carolina's up to the, you know, gills with spare oh, too. Oh, exactly. God, so you, that's a good idea. That's yeah. So like you, if, if if you're Carolina, you, you offer that, and maybe there's a player there that Holland likes because you know, like we saw uh, Paul Yarby here. Uh, he's a great kid. I mean, he he he. You know, he'd be walking home, and people would say, "We'll give you a ride after the I game," and he'd that, take yeah. the ride. Right? Like he's just. You know, I I think he's he's a a, a nice guy. It just didn't work out here for whatever reason. And, and look, the, the the stories that you hear about players are are usually about ten percent true. I, I don't know what happened here. Nobody really does. But whatever it was, it was enough for him to not want to play in the NHL with Edmonton, and that's got to be a pretty big deal. So whatever happens, I hope he ends up in a place where he feels like he belongs because he seems to be a fairly happy kid. So I don't think there's a, a problem there that way. I, I, I wonder um, if he maybe perceives himself. One has had a lot of that over the years where players perceive themselves as, as, as uh, scorers uh, and maybe forget about the checking side, and then the coach sours on them a little bit. Um, that could happen. To. Well, I tell you what, Alan, man, I appreciate all your insight. I know we went a little long and I appreciate that even more. Anybody that's looking for you can find your work on The Athletic Edmonton. You guys can find uh, Alan on Twitter at Low Tide. You guys can hear him on TSN 1260 
hosting the lowdown. So thank you so much for all your time tonight, man. It was a pleasure talking yeah, I, to you. I had a great time talking to you, Alan. I enjoyed this very much, gentlemen. I, I love to hear myself speak. So this was just, <laughs> I would have done this the same way, just without a microphone if you hadn't called. <laughs> well, you, know, you got me riled up there, man. All right. Well, guys, enjoy. Thanks so much for having me on. Have me back again. We will. Oh, Thank absolutely. you. Absolutely. All right. Take Thanks care, so bro. much. Oh man, he was fun. Yeah, he was a really nice guy. Like I, I loved, I loved hearing some of those stories. Oh yeah. Like I know. Um, he had a very soothing voice. Yeah, that's that's one thing I did notice. I was like, damn, I could listen to this guy talk all night, and <laughs> <laughs> we were halfway on our way. Like he, yeah, the stories were great, and. uh um, okay, so I mean, I feel like we got everything that we were kind of open for there, man. Um, some big takeaways that I got were on Evan Bouchard. I'm, I'm excited to see what what he's going to bring to the table, man. Uh, that right-handed shot, I, that's not something I considered going into it. So it sounds like Bouchard is going to be uh, almost like tit for tat what he said. Maybe he doesn't get there before halfway through the season, but is a good sleeper the second he does get a call up. Like everybody's going to scramble to the waiver wire, I imagine. Uh, but I don't know. Are you willing to take forty game hit just to just to like lock it in? What to make sure that you have him? Yeah. N- no. Yeah, I think that one's just going to be a are race. Are you? Because I mean, I'm I'm all about having Evan Bouchard on my team when he makes it to the NHL. But yeah, it's going to be a matter of like uh, if Clefbaum gets hurt, then boom, right away, go for Bouchard. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll give you that one. Yeah, so I, I think that one's just going to be a race to the waiver wire, boys. But uh, the goalie situation, um, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. I don't know if they're going to go out and get like a, you know, one of those like mid-level goalies would be cool. I, I'm not sure Anton Hudobin's, uh status with Dallas right now, but I know Halak is kind of locked up. And, you know, they are one of the two better backups in the league outside of like Robin Leonard. But you know, that would be choice to have as your backup. I think any team would go for that. Well, how how long is Halak a backup? I think it was a two year deal, maybe. Maybe a one year deal. Is he really a backup? Yeah, we're gonna have to wait and see what's up with Rask, but um I, I do wish we had some time for prospects, but uh I feel like Edmonton isn't isn't one of like a powerhouse for prospects outside of like Bouchard and, and Yamamoto who's already in the show, so there's that. Uh Pugliarvi, it was good to get some new light there. That that would that would have said that whole Pugliarvi thing to like a Carolina, oh man, that is interesting. Yeah, I, right? I don't know Gets if the they're dumb moving. enough to give a first rounder for him. But a second rounder yeah. they have like they do, they they are they're swimming in picks yeah. right now. So they could offer something like that. That would be incredibly interesting. I think that he would fit in really well uh, to the system down here. As yeah, well. I think it would be a good second line option because I think they were kind of they were working their way around like Warren Fogle and uh, Martin Nietzsche and stuff like that. Just to the point where I don't even know if Yesipul Yarvi would would really be an upgrade on on either of those guys maybe Fogel but Nietzsche obviously has you know a good amount of talent but uh, yeah I know but he would be rounding out that team I mean oh, they yeah. start getting a little light once you get down those lines but Alan brought up a good point maybe he does have an ego to him I think we were kind of dancing around that word but if he does have an ego then maybe he's not going to want to be in a middle six position maybe he is looking for that top line time on some team whether it be like I don't know Chicago or or just you know anything 
where he wants to be in that kind of role where he can be in the spotlight. Maybe he does have that kind of ego, but a second line role in Carolina, because I mean, you really think about it, Sveshnikov, Aho, and Turbo, that is a trio that's not to be messed with, right? No, I'm, I'm thinking not. Yeah. And I don't see, you know, like Puyarvi, you know, he's got the pedigree, the draft pedigree, but uh, I don't see him beating out a, like a t- Teravainen or anything like that. But no, I don't either. It definitely got the gears turning, like, he, and now I'm trying be, to find a fit. He would be fit. a depth guy, and, and for a second-round pick, I'm down for that. Yeah, I mean, wh- when you're in the second round. a third-line wh- guy that, that you think is going to round out your team a lot better than, than what you have, yeah, I'm down for such a thing. Yeah, second-round picks are usually like a, a two- to three-year wait time, and that's if they pan out, you know, and, and Puyarvi has NHL experience. You kind of know what you're getting. He's building a portfolio over in uh, Sweden. So, I mean, you know what you get. And if, if Puyarvi is somebody that's better than what's on the table in the second round, I see a team definitely pulling the trigger. That's going to be an interesting one to see where he lands uh, if it's not Edmonton. Um, you know, RNH, just looking back at our notes here, RNH, Leon Dreisaitl, and Yamamoto. Uh, I mean, we kind of hit all the nails on that one. RNH is what? He is a free agent after next yeah, year. Yeah, I think right? he's got two years left, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, <sighs> this is a what weird one. What do you think he's going to get? He's at, he's so, at what, six, six a year? Yeah, six flat. I believe. Yep. Okay. What, what do you what do you think he's going to get? Like seven and a half? Oh, boy, it, it's five a weird years? Five you, years, seven and a half. This Something is not like a guy that. that you can't give a raise to. You know what I mean? But for yeah. the longest time, RNH was kind of um, he was given this. Oh, he's overpaid kind of like a like a moniker you know like people kind of thought that rnh didn't deserve that money until these last couple years when his offense started really peaking uh and now it it seems like he definitely deserves that money so i mean 7.5 makes sense but it's just going to be hard to chew unless they go for like a like a three or four year deal which would be ideal but how much does a 31 year old 32 year old really make on the open market so you know, there's two sides to that coin. What is Ryan Nugent Hopkins going to want? And what does the team yeah, really he's, want? He's going to be looking for term. He's going to oh, be yeah. looking for seven years. This could very well be his last contract. So, uh-huh. last, like, meaningful contract. I'm sure, you know, he'll he'll get a 35, 34-year-old yeah, contract, like one year be, or whatever. It's not like he's going to be commanded $8 million a year yeah. when he's it's payday, 33, bud. you know it's what payday. I mean? There is, there's literally nothing left to say about Connor McDavid, uh, Leon Dreisaitl either. So I just wanted to get them out of the way. Like, we can't talk Edmonton and not talk the, the two best players, two of the best players in the league. Um, so th- there's that. Um, yeah, buddy. I think that uh, that about chews it up. And all right, so I hope you guys enjoyed our talk with Alan Mitchell, Low Tide on Twitter. And next up, we got Wes Gilbertson. He's going to be talking some Calgary Flames. And this is another one that, like, continuity kind of screws with you because it is late. Today's Monday, right? Mm-hmm. So it's late Monday night. It's, like, uh, almost 10 o'clock. Just getting off with Alan. And tomorrow I'm going to be talking to Wes. And that's going to be in the afternoon. And Zach's going to be at work. So I'm going to be riding solo on that one. But that episode, or that interview, rather, is coming up next. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And, yeah, here's Wes with uh, Calgary, the Battle of Alberta episode. I didn't even realize that until just now. So that's going to be it's going to be interesting. Tubes. Hey, Wes, how are things, bud? Good. How are you? Doing all right. Good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Perfect. Uh, so you're doing these for every team? 
Yeah, it's actually going to be kind of interesting here. So we had Alan Mitchell from the Athletic Edmonton on last night. And just the way things fell, it's going to be like a Battle of Alberta episode that we got going on. So, Oh, nice. Cool. <laughs> so we're going to have Edmonton and Calgary in the same one. We, you know, we're trying to hit every team and Pacific just happened to be last on our list here. Awesome. All right, everybody out there, you guys, we are joined with Wes Gilbertson, the Calgary Flames beat writer for Post Media, and we're going to be talking some Calgary Flames tonight. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. How about yourself? Not so bad. It's a beautiful day over here in Pennsylvania. Just full disclosure, I am a Flyers fan. So uh, this Johnny Gaudreau question that I got coming up for you is going to hit a little close to home, I'd, I'd like to think. But let's start off from the top, man. I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this. It was It was a step back this year from the 1819 year. And I, I don't know if that's a result of overperforming or what you might say from 1819, but just looking at the stats, the team shot at almost 11%. They scored over three and a half goals a game. They true Adana penalties. Giordano went on this amazing run. Uh, the top forwards carried the team. And then looking at this year, Giordano's production is essentially cut in half. The team shoots at around league average, nothing bad there, but they're drawing less penalties. What are the biggest changes from last year to this year that you really noticed? Well, I think the one thing is is that they they overachieved in the regular season in 2018-19. Uh, you know, I remember writing something after they lost in five games to uh, Colorado in the opening round a year ago, saying, "Hang on a second, what was a bigger surprise? The fact that they won the Western Conference, or the fact that they lost in the first round?" And and you know what I was kind of saying at that point was if if you went back and looked at this team and and where they were at. Uh, in the fall prior to the season starting, and now I'm talking 2018, I don't think anyone expected that they could compete for top spot in the Western Conference. Mm. So start there. I mean, like you said, their uh, their shooting percentage was kind of off the charts last year. They just became one of those teams that kind of got on a roll and, uh, yeah, just kind of never looked back. So um, this season... A, I think they were a little bit overwhelmed by the expectations. Yeah, um, suddenly they were being billed as a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, it was a first time for this group uh, really dealing with that. Uh, and then, you know, the offense, it was a team that offensively did so much damage the year before. Going back to this fall, I mean, they were giving up high danger scoring chances like a lottery team. What happened was they just went in it into a defensive shell. I mean, they were hardly generating anything offensively uh, because it had become such a struggle to keep the puck out of their own net or, uh, you know, keep their goalies from having to make all these five-bell saves. So I know something that Jeff Ward is really proud of. Since he took over as interim coach, and that being at the end of November, they were actually eighth in the league uh, from that point forward in goals four per game. So he wanted to kind of put an emphasis on on using that offensive talent again from, you know, start of December on. Uh, they averaged, I think, 3.27 per game, which, you know, was right up there, again, eighth in the league. So so that part came around. But, you know, early on, I think it was a, a mixture of, of all those things, expectations, some defensive struggles, and then ultimately that took a toll on their offensive game as well. I guess what we, we needed to do was temper expectations a little bit. As you might know, we're a fantasy hockey podcast. So going into this, we were like ranking, you know, Mark Giordano amongst like the top five. And there are, in hindsight now, all these red flags that kind of came up. I noticed you touched on the the Jeff Ward bit. And I do you think that they're going to drop the interim from the head coaches? Is there a coaching situation? Is he the front runner or are they still shopping? It, it's a great question that 
is kind of changed by everything that is uh, going on with the, you know, the prolonged pause due to the pandemic. I, you know, Jeff, if you asked me at the start of March, I would have told you that uh, Jeff Ward's future probably hinged on his ability to have some playoff success. And that doesn't mean winning a Stanley Cup, but just prove that the team was on the right track in the playoffs. And, you know, now I think it's probably harder to make a coaching change. So I would say his chances of sticking around, and I'm a big Jeff Ward fan as a person and a coach, I would say his chances of, of having that title or that interim tag uh, removed have, have grown. But I still think he'll be judged partially anyways on, on how this postseason goes. So let's touch on the elephant in the room now, and that's the Johnny Gaudreau trade rumors. I'm curious if there's any real weight to these rumors. Are they just that? Are they just rumors? Or what do you, what do you really see there? Well, I think the one thing that is true is that Johnny Gaudreau is a total family guy, a total kind of, I don't know if homebody is, is a fair way to put it, but like, you know, he is a guy who really loves spending time with his parents, with his brother, with his two sisters, and the family, as everyone knows, is based just outside of Philadelphia. And so, you know, Johnny's been super honest about how much he enjoys playing back there how much he enjoys getting home to see them and I think that's made it really easy to make a leap to people assuming that when he hits unrestricted free agency he's going to want to be closer to his family Hmm. Uh, now where those became maybe more rumorish at the start of this season was you know he was struggling he was taking a lot of heat in Calgary he certainly took a lot of heat for his failure to produce in that first round playoff ouster a year ago you know people kind of looked at him and said two years left on his contract after this you know is now the time to move him and get something for him that's where they became rumors uh, you know, I don't necessarily think of Johnny Gaudreau as a flight risk, as a guy who's going to, you know, sign with an Eastern-based team the second he gets the opportunity. But, you know, he certainly does want to be around his family. And, and at that point in his career, uh, he might make that more of a priority. But I do think that's taken on a little bit more of a life of its own than it, it probably should have at this point. So do you see his value being what it should be? I know he kind of had a slow start. The The shooting percentage wasn't there, and that was kind of a, a, a big topic in the trade discussions, too. They were like, why are we going to trade him now? He's shooting at like you know 7% or whatever it was. We know he has more in the tank. We know he can get us more. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I, I've been asked a million times this year, you know, why isn't Johnny producing at the same clip? You know, our team's playing him differently, and, and I do see one difference, and that's, to kind of take a step back, everyone always wanted to compare Johnny Gaudreau to Patrick Kane. And, uh, you know, obviously some similarities in shiftiness, in size, although, you know, Patrick Kane's a little bit bigger. Certainly in in kind of what their keys to success would be. And, you know, I had a, a scout tell me early in Johnny's career, the biggest difference is the shot. You know, Patrick Kane's shot is a weapon, uh, and Johnny's shot is, is not is not the same. He, you know, he's not a guy who scares goalies. What I feel like I've seen this year is teams daring him to shoot a little bit more. He's, you know, he is one of the NHL's elite passers. Nobody would argue that. Right. Uh, but teams are, are saying, you know what, instead of letting him tee up Monaghan in the slot, <laughs> instead of letting him, you know, cross seam to Elias Lindholm or whoever the right winger on that line happens to be, let's force Johnny to shoot. You know, let's isolate his passing options and just force him to beat our goalie. And, you know, I think that's why you've seen his save or his uh, shooting percentage, sorry, come down is, you know, he, he hasn't been able to do that at uh, the clip that he would expect to. 
and so that's been a, a huge difference uh, for me, and, and that's led to, listen, he's still a productive player, but but that's led to sort of the dip that we've seen, I think. So let's talk about the power plays here. We saw, just in terms of the power play quarterback, we saw Rasmus Anderson, Eric Gustafsson, Mark Giordano. I can't remember if there are any more, but who do you imagine is the guy? Is there a shot that Valimaki could make an appearance next year? Yeah, I mean, Yusuf Valimaki has been just kind of delayed. They, they absolutely love this kid. But for those who don't know, tore up his knee in summer training, hasn't played a single game this year you know, only has basically half a season of NHL experience under his belt. I think you might see him there eventually, but I don't think it would be next year. You know, they, they've they liked Mark Giordano in that spot. A big reason that they've experimented with other guys is just to keep his minutes down. Hmm, that's fair. Quite frankly, we saw everyone. You know, we saw Rasmus Anderson. He gives, uh, as a right-handed shot, he gives that group a different look. You know, it's a big reason they got uh, Eric Gustafson from the Blackhawks at the trade deadline, although he's set to be an unrestricted free agent, so who knows if he's back. You know, Noah Hannafin's seen power play time. TJ Brody has certainly seen power play time. Pretty much everyone uh, in their regular top six, except for Travis Hamannick and, and after the deadline, Derek Forbert. So I think Rasmus Anderson is probably the long-term option there. He's, you know, he's got a hell of a shot. He's got good poise and good vision. But uh, I think you'll probably still see a little bit of a mixed bag until Anderson kind of grows into that role full-time. So on the, the top six... We saw quite a what a fair few of uh, combinations there. We we saw Lucic up in the top six for a little bit. What do you imagine the top six is going to look like next year? Um, you know, it's a hard question to answer without knowing how they fare in the playoffs. If this is a team that is uh, is eliminated quickly, maybe doesn't get through their play in round against the Winnipeg Jets, I think you're going to see an appetite for change. Hmm. You know, right now I probably see Gaudreau, Monaghan, question mark. And now it yeah. could be Elias Lindholm, although this team really likes Elias Lindholm as a center. And then I think you'll see uh, Kachuk, Backland, or Lindholm, and maybe Manjapan. Yeah, it, it's a great question. Hmm. I'll tell you, if the season ended today or, you know, if the season restarted today, that's the top six you'd see would be some combination of Gaudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm, uh, Kachuk, Backlund, and Andrew Mangiapane. You know, they would still, I think, be kind of the front runners for me to stay in those spots. Although, you know, this team is perennially shopping for a right winger or at least a right-handed shot for their top six. And, Mm. you know, they found one in Elias Lindholm, but wanting to move him to center, I think they'll definitely be looking for another. It did seem like they were trying to, I don't want to say shoehorn, because that, if I'm remembering correctly, is his... Uh, natural position too so uh, let's touch now on the goalies uh, Talbot could very well be on his way out one more year for Rich in his contract how do you see them approaching the net next year do you think there's something in-house they could do uh no I don't think there's something in-house uh John Gillies is going to be a free agent after this season and I think both sides would be willing to you know walk away at this point you know John Gillies and I don't know exactly how old he is but uh he's got to be 24 or so and and hasn't got a ton of opportunity i think he's gonna he's gonna want to go looking uh and i don't think the the flames are necessarily that keen on bringing him back you know they just re-signed artem uh, zagadulin uh but i don't think anyone believes he's ready for the nhl just yet so i think you're gonna see david riddick and uh free agent signing yeah there's quite a few of them this year 
Yeah, and I, you know, I think they'd be interested in bringing Cam Talbot back. It, you know, the tandem has worked pretty well. Um, I don't think Cam got as many starts as he was hoping for early on, but um, you know, certainly Jeff Ward has, has shown a little bit more faith in him. Yeah, and there's some fascinating names out there, right? I believe Corey Crawford's a free agent. I believe Braden Holpe's a free agent this year. I, I don't have the list in front of me. Oh, but, man, it's like half a league. <laughs> yeah, there's some fascinating names on that list. So, uh, yeah, my guess is my guess is probably uh, you're going to be looking at Riddick and uh, some sort of signing, whether that's re-signing Talbot or, uh, or bringing in someone new as kind of a a timeshare with Riddick. Now, uh, there's some fascinating names on that list that are, you know, starter quality guys. I don't know whether they would bring a guy in and make David Riddick their backup. I don't Mm. think so. You know, there's some enticing options that are going to probably make them think about it. So let's talk about the the prospects here. There's Jacob Pelletier and Johans Kimval. And Kimval is kind of a curious one. He's definitely, in my opinion, and just looking at the numbers, he looks like he has the upside, but I don't see a like a downright path for him to the NHL. Where do you think uh, his career kind of winds up? Yeah, you know, uh, Kinval is definitely a fascinating guy and a guy that, you know, I'd be first to admit, I, I just don't know that much about. You know, I'd love to tell you I was waking up at, uh, you know, two in the morning or it wouldn't <laughs> quite be that bad. But, you know, I'd love to tell you I was, uh, you know, turning on my TV first thing in the morning to, to watch Swedish league games. But, um, you know, I did not see Jan Koping play one time this year. So uh, just going on by, you know, what I've been told by some of the scouts, they're keen on him. You know, this is a guy who is second in the Swedish league in scoring by a defenseman this year. Uh, you know, 40 points in 51 games. Apparently has a great shot. Uh, apparently has good vision. Uh, certainly power play quarterback kind of guy. He's going to stay in Sweden for one more year before he comes to North America. So maybe the path you know, at that point is a little more clear. I wouldn't call him a, a sure thing to be, you know, a flame in a year uh, instead of maybe needing some time in the minors. But but he's a guy they are totally fascinated by and uh, a guy who it sounds like could have had his pick of a, a lot of different NHL programs. And then there's Jacob Pelletier. And I'm, I'm doing my best with that name there. Um, I was a French major, but I'm just terrible at this. Uh, so it, I, I think the wings could use some depth scoring. Is there an ETA for y- Jacob, Jakob, whatever it might be? Yeah, Jakob. Or okay. I think it's Jacob, but uh, it's Pelche. Okay. Uh, okay. That's a good question. ETA-wise, it's not going to be next fall. Let's let's okay. maybe just start there. You know, Jacob Pelche is a guy who was just traded in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Had, had a good year. Um, this season, unfortunately, you know, one of the kind of huge barometers, at least from a fan and media standpoint, for kind of tracking the progress of prospects is that World Junior Tournament. I think Jacob had a good chance to be on Team Canada, but he suffered a concussion just before mm-hmm. camp and unfortunately couldn't go. So he'll be on that team if there is a World Junior Tournament this coming year. Uh, I would say he would be looked at to be a guy who would be fairly dominant as a 19-year-old in the the QMJHL. So, yeah, and then and then pro after that. Now, whether that means straight to the NHL needs a little more time. Uh, you know, it's a little bit hard to say, but um, certainly kind of a guy who's trending in the right direction, but not uh, knocking on the door, you know, anytime right away. So the last question I'm going to ask you is just about uh, just a wild guess, a shot in the dark, maybe. Who do you see leading the Flames in points next year? 
Do you think wow, it's going to be somebody like Kachuk? One. Does he have another gear to his game, or do you think Johnny Gaudreau bounces back somewhere close to that point per game mark? You definitely nailed the two favorites. Yeah, um, I think <laughs> that would have been my guess. Uh, yeah, I would. I would. I, I would say the mon- smart money's probably on Johnny Gaudreau. I mean, he's just such a huge part uh, of how they run their power play. But Matthew Kachuk's gonna gonna hang around there. I mean, this this guy is stupid talented but you know he's such a pain in the ass right and, right, and we've yeah. all seen the we've all seen the clip with cassian and you oh, know we fun. all know about the feud with drew dowdy and, right. and all that and, and so you know you think of him as a pest like he's kind of like brad marchand in the sense that when people just thought brad marchand was a pest he wasn't getting enough credit you know, is he a pest? For sure. But yeah, to describe right. <laughs> him as a pest, you're really kind of underselling him. I feel the same way about Matthew Kachuk. I mean, uh, his vision, uh, his, you know, his abilities and, and his productivity around the net and below the goal line, like like this guy, this guy is a special talent. And, uh, you know, I know we saw him in the mix for the team scoring lead all season this year. And I think you you should probably become used to that. I think you're going to see him there a lot. All right, Wes, thank you so much. Uh, one more time, you guys can find Wes on Twitter at Wes Gilbertson. You guys can check out his work on Post Media about the Flames. And I forgot to ask you, Wes, if there's anything else you're working on, man, free your time if you want to drop anything. You know, uh, nothing uh, nothing crazy at this point. I think, uh, you know, we're looking at uh, Jerome McGinley, you know, still a legend here in Calgary, you know, should be a shoe-in to go in the Hall of Fame next week. So, um, you know, I'm just kind of getting ready for hopefully some, some summer hockey. We're, we're trending that way. So uh, it should be fun. Good luck to you guys in the playoffs, man. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Tim. All right, guys, that was Wes Gilbertson, the Calgary Flames beat reporter for Post Media. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. So that is what we got on Calgary. That's what we got for this episode. And we are going to be back... It's, it's a weird one. So I think we have like two episodes left. I don't really know. But we're going to be back with Vancouver and Arizona soon. And then we're going to have Anaheim and San Jose following that. I don't really have days to go with it. But like I said, I didn't even know that today was Monday. So the days just kind of blend together. So we're going to have those episodes for you guys at some point this week. I can guarantee that much, I know. Uh, but if you guys want to find us, we are on Twitter at FHF Hockey. We have a fantasy hockey discord that you are more than welcome to join. And that's it for us, guys. So thanks for listening, and we love you guys. Love yous.